This is Joe Kirkner, and welcome to the Be Kind Podcast, part of the Animal Advocates' mission to create a more compassionate and loving world for all living creatures, whether they like their pizza thin crust, thick crust, Neapolitan style, Boston deep dish style. All animals deserve to be loved, and we're here to make that a reality. And why am I talking about pizza? Well, it's because we just had pizza for lunch. And also, I'm joined by two other vegan pizza lovers. John, as always, or as mostly always. But sometimes I have multiple names. Yeah, and sometimes you're in the background and not on the camera. But you're True typically story. always here when we're doing podcasts. I'm somewhere. Yeah. Lurking. <laughs> and we're also today joined by our fellow board member of Animal Advocates, Melissa. Hello, Woo. friends. Hi. And today we're going to do a episode to just kind of touch on a few topics, nothing big to focus on the whole time, more lighthearted episode than some of what we've been doing in the past few, to really just give a general idea of what we've been up to, some of our other thoughts on the vegan movement in general. But first, I know we've had Melissa on the episodes before, but I don't think she had a chance to talk too much about her background with the organization and her own vegan journey. So, Melissa... Your vegan journey, what's up with that? Well, I just completed my fifth year as a vegan back in the end of March, it was. Sweet. Yay. (laughs) Not a baby vegan anymore. (laughs) So I always grew up an animal lover, and I always thought being vegetarian or vegan was much harder than it was or is. So I kind of figured I could never do that. Right. But then I had a good friend who was vegan and would talk to me about it often, would cook for me, and the food was always really great, and kind of helped teach me how to cook better. And then he decided to challenge me to a month of being vegan, and I never went back. That's awesome. So you just went vegan overnight then, essentially, from nothing to a 30-day challenge? Yeah, I went from omni to vegan. A lot of people think that's a big thing, but for me, it was kind of... I always had issues with lactose, so the whole cheese thing was easy for me it was mm. i just felt better in general so i know that's the piece a lot of people struggle with but that was actually pretty easy for me so omni to vegan wasn't too bad so it started out for the health reasons it sounds like with the challenge and or was it more of an ethical it was thing? more ethical like if you love animals how do you eat them kind of thing which you know it, it always clicked but it seemed as if it was some sort of far off ideal that i couldn't make a reality and just with a little little guidance made it a reality and this is a little bit of a side, but if, when you were going through that experience, what was one of your go-to things you did to help make that transition for you easier? What switches really were the key in making that successful? Well, I think learning how to cook tofu and tempeh was important because that was kind of my my thing is I didn't want to go immediately to the mock meats and always have the mock meats because that just seemed artificial and not, you know, sustainable. So learning how to cook things like tofu and tempeh and beans and lentils and, you know, various other more natural proteins and sources. And also cheaper. <laughs> yes, absolutely. More sustainable in general right, right. in all kinds of ways was just really key for me. And still to this day, the, the friend of mine that helps turn me vegan occasionally, I'll be like, I have a craving for this, help. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? I have this ingredient and I need to use it and I don't know how. Nice. So 
It's always good to have a, a couple people around. Did you make your own tempeh? I don't yet. I have watched Animal Advocate's friend Amber do it several times, and hers beats store-bought by a landslide. Yeah, it's really good. But I'm scared. So. It's, it's, it's definitely a lot of work. Yeah, it yeah. seems like a lot of work to yeah. me whenever I look it up. And we got to get Amber on the podcast. Yeah, we do. We she's make it awesome. Up. Yeah, she's funny, too, so yeah. she'd be great on here. Yeah, I would love that. So that explains how you went and started practicing the vegan lifestyle, but then how did you find the animal advocates to get looped into us? Well, shortly after that friend helped me convert to veganism, he moved. Oh. So then I was kind of here without any support system. Oh, man. So I actually found the vegan drinks on Facebook, and it happened to be their first in-person event at Vry, which is a restaurant in Camp Hill, I believe it is, maybe Lemoyne. Okay. I get all those West Shore towns confused. Yeah. I think it is Camp Hill. So I went there, and I happened to be sitting next to Adrian, who is our president, and we got to chatting, and it sounded like something that I really wanted to look into. So I went home and I I Googled it, looked at the website, and to be honest, I was a little bit hesitant to get involved because a lot of what I saw was tabling, and I knew that wasn't something that I really felt, one, as a brand new vegan, super secure about doing, like I would have a whole lot to say about it. Right. So I was hesitant at first, but what actually brought me around to being more involved are our sanctuary volunteer days. Once I started finding other ways that kind of suited what I was comfortable with to pitch in and help out, I became more involved. That's the one nice thing about animal advocates is there's not just tabling and stuff. There's there's so many other things you can do, which is great. Especially nowadays in the current state of things, time stamping the episode, sorry, <laughs> is that tabling as we've traditionally been thought of or used to at these big events where thousands of people are walking around, shaking hands, rubbing elbows, spreading God knows what. Hopefully love and compassion, <laughs> though nowadays it doesn't seem quite the case. Yeah. We got to get a little more creative with our forms of advocacy. And Melissa was actually at Whispering Rise with us. Was that last weekend or two weekends ago? It was this last past weekend. Year. I, I know, it's a blur. Destroyed. <laughs> It's been a crazy week. Yeah. <laughs> so she was actually at Whispering Rise, which was our previous episode last week when we were helping out with all the pigs and experiencing pig magic. And so I don't know if you want to expand on any more of your experiences in farmed animal sanctuaries and how that's really impacted you on your vegan journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of people look to the darker side of videos and factory farm videos and things of that nature to kind of keep themselves on track. I like to go to the lighter side of things yeah. and see the animals make connections with them, spend time with them. I mean, I think the more time you spend around them, the more you can see their sentience, the more that you see that they're emotional and they respond emotionally to things. And Absolutely. I think that makes it easier for me personally to stay on track rather than torturing myself with the dark stuff. Yeah. So I love our volunteer days. John has so many pictures of me with the biggest goofy smile on my face from all of these sanctuary days. So that's kind of, I think it keeps me centered on why I choose to live the way that I do. Yeah, The slaughterhouse videos are only impactful and terrible because we know the creatures in the videos are feeling loving creatures. So it's, you kind of need both for them to make any sense, right? Yeah. I think I, I would rather know that without seeing it. Yeah. Emotionally. Yeah, I've never been a big fan of those slaughterhouse videos either. No. 
No. But I understand for some vegans that, you know, that's Mm -hmm. how they, it pushes them to get to where they need to be in their life. So I I get their purpose, but yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a need for them for the people that don't realize just how bad it is. People that think that some of these animals are quote unquote humanely killed. Right. Which is such an oxymoron of a term anyway. So it is good for those people who need that reality check. But I think those of us that already understand that and know that it's such an issue maybe don't need right right yeah you don't need to see a video of someone getting murdered to know murder is it's wrong. bad right <laughs> but if you still need to get to that cognitive leap of that these creatures are feeling kind of thing it's complex and again i would touch on this a lot of episodes that everyone's vegan journey is different everyone needs different inputs to be able to live an ethical lifestyle that aligns with their values so you probably know what works for you better than we do so if you have something that's working for you have at it. So we did do the farm to animal sanctuary help days, which I went to really my first one last weekend, which was great. I'm going to go to more because like you said, it's so impactful to see these creatures up close and get a feel for just the sheer intelligence and emotion and compassion and just uniqueness of these individuals that is really does help reinforce the vegan ethic and if we can show more people that in a way that's accessible to everyone because not everyone can take a weekend off or go with the animal advocates to a local farmed animal sanctuary i think that's something as an organization we should really explore more is creative dynamic ways to expose people to creatures and non-human animals which some of our friends over some of our farmed animal sanctuary like Lancaster Farm Sanctuary with Courtney over there, I know has been doing some great work there. Well, I think one of the most interesting things that we heard Jeff from Whispering Rise talk about is the social hierarchy of the pig herds and how they get so bonded and how they each have their role within the hierarchy of the herd. And I think that speaks so much to humans. Humans are very much like that too. And I think those connections, those commonalities that we can find between humans and non-human animals kind of makes the connection easier. Definitely. And there's also other ways you've been involved with the animal advocates that aren't necessarily tabling. Can you touch some more on those? Yeah, absolutely. There are blog posts that we write on a regular basis. So I know we have some volunteers that are really exceptional writers that are maybe not as comfortable person to person or in person, and they get their points across beautifully that way. One thing that I myself am really excited about that we're doing that's new for us is the political outreach. So we have been working with Brian and Natalie, who are great humans from Humane Action Pittsburgh. And one of the first times I talked to Brian, he said something that really struck me. We all stop at stop signs because it's the law. We don't even think about it because that's just what you do. You stop at a stop sign. So the more that you can affect the law, the more that you can tend to affect people's behavior. So they've done amazing work out in the western part of the state, getting 17 to 18 different laws passed. They've really done a lot of good out there. So we're going to work with them and see if we can kind of do the same type of thing locally here and then maybe also partner up on some statewide things with them. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think everything we do works together because you need the laws in place to make sure that things like, I don't know if any of you remember back when all the supply chains were messed up during COVID's peak or one of their peaks, they were all those viral videos of dairy farmers pouring out milk. And that's because of all the systems and laws and subsidies and whatnot in place. They had to keep essentially producing even if it wasn't profitable or selling. So then they had to dump it out. And just things like that that we don't know about go on behind the scenes that really make the system as we know now possible 
possible is what we're going to be looking to try and reduce at least on a local level where we can even if it's something as simple as banning sunday hunting again we gotta start small and do something but there's always something out there that we as a concentrated group of individuals can really affect if we work together and coordinate which melissa's going to be doing her work yeah i mean i think that's really important to keep in mind too like we're not gonna change pennsylvania or south central pennsylvania into a vegan area overnight but baby steps is how we get there you know whether it's like they did out in pittsburgh where they banned certain inhumane practices of the circus and now the circus doesn't go to pittsburgh anymore that's um those kinds of things which seems small, but add up to bigger change on a larger scale when you put them all together. As long as they keep reinforcing that message that animals aren't meant to be used, and we should at least have that extra pause of consideration before we do things like have abusive practices in circuses or extend hunting season all year round or something like that. Agreed. And I think for me personally, I really want to continue doing some of the more important, you know, anti-puppy mill laws and things like that. But I think that's... Not to downplay that, but that's kind of the easy thing because as a society, we look at dogs and puppies and we think cute, cuddly companion animals. I also kind of want to try to extend some of our consideration in terms of a legal society to other animals. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing that I'm really looking forward to trying to do. You can already sort of see that with the emphasis on animal welfare of animals in factory farms where people do have it in their minds that that's the right thing to do. So that degree of compassion, that bridge is kind of being made one slow step at a time. So the fact that even in a conversation, whether or not you agree with welfare policies or incremental change, what have you, in favor of animal liberation or things like that, there is that still mindset that these creatures do deserve to, at the very least, not suffer terribly. Terribly. So it's getting people to care enough to, again, pause and think a little bit more critically about some of the things they do every single day that contradict that inherent belief in the moral worth of these animals. I'm sounding really pretentious right now, so I'm going to say <laughs> Well, honestly, I think that the factory farmed element really comes into how animal welfare ties into human welfare. There are so many negative impacts from factory farmers on humans, whether it's pig waste run out that or, you know, cow carbon footprint, things of that nature that I think part of our tabling and educational piece comes into play with that. It's easy for anyone to sit there and say, you know, we shouldn't be cramming 100,000 chickens in a 100 square foot building. But it's not just for the chickens. It's also for the disease that gets passed around those factory farms. It's also from the disease that comes out of the wastewater. It's also for the disease to the planet, things of that nature. So that kind of ties into our other things that we do as an organization with the more educational side. And also something you mentioned before we got on the air, there's this common misconception you hear towards vegans that why are you helping all the animals when there's all these people starving suffering dying sick insert terrible thing going on in the world here well the fact is by helping animals without even considering helping humans which is very rare for anyone to typically have the philosophy but even just helping animals for sake of helping animals indirectly helps humans as well for all those reasons you just said not to mention the more direct ways that we've been involved helping both as well and can you touch a little bit more on that absolutely a couple of my favorite things that i've been a part of as an animal advocate is our bethesda mission dinners Mm -hmm. where there's been a team of five to ten of us that have gone into the bethesda mission men's shelter in harrisburg and cooked them an all vegan meal and served the men that came in and i think that was one it was really funny to see 
see the men go, oh, this is all going to be a vegan meal and kind of like unsure and then come back up for seconds because it was so delicious. <laughs> right. So I think that's always great. But it's also a way to show the people that run the Bethesda mission that, hey, you can do this sustainably at a more affordable price than what you're doing otherwise. And I think large scale, that's very true as well. You know, we were talking when we were talking about my vegan journey and how the mock meats and specialty things are expensive, but the vegan staples, the rice, the beans, the lentils, like pastas and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the produce you can find mm -hmm. cheaply at a farm stand down the road, especially here in central Pennsylvania is all very sustainable and very affordable. Yeah. So I think that's one message that I really like to get out is that it is attainable and it is affordable and something that just about anyone could do. You were just mentioning the accessibility of vegan food and how it is possible to find. And that is another nice transition. We're just full of great transitions this yeah, afternoon. Right? A great transition to the hardest time it's ever been for us to practice veganism. And we were talking about this before we got on the air. So we'll let you start, Melissa, as our guest. Well, my grandparents are from northwestern Pennsylvania. My grandmother specifically is in Emlinton, which is about halfway between Pittsburgh and Erie. It's kind of great white north of Pennsylvania. And when I first was transitioning into veganism, the first time I went up there, I wasn't fully prepared at how different the availability of things are and I forgot to bring my almond milk and the closest place that I could find it was half an hour away at a Walmart which is a struggle because here you know I can go next door and find some so I really appreciated at that point the availability of some of these chain fast food restaurants which I know is, as vegans we kind of sometimes turn our nose up at but the availability of a potato burrito at Taco Bell was what I had to eat or, you know, a burrito at Sheets with rice and beans and <laughs> veggies, you know, like those kinds of things make it accessible. Going forward, I was more prepared and I would come with, you know, a cooler full of my staples and <laughs> right, make my right. own food. But I think that's why when when we as a larger group of vegans here, you know, KFC might have fried chicken. For us, that seems maybe not as exciting or some people turn their nose up at it. It's amazing for the people that live in these places that don't have a whole lot of other options other than these fast food restaurants. Yeah. And for people traveling through, it just makes it easier. And I think anytime we can make veganism easier is good. Agreed. So Taco Bell was my savior at my <laughs> grandparents' house. Those vegan burritos are very good, I gotta say. <laughs> the hardest time I've ever had being vegan in a place was I was at a work conference this was a few day thing. So there'd be presentations and meals and stuff in giant hall. And we'd go out to eat at places I never got to pick. And so basically I ate nothing but hummus and drank nothing but beer for four days. So in hindsight, it was a pretty cool time. It was very good training. For <laughs> How's the that life any I different than normal, Joe? Well, now it's peanut butter and bourbon. So I upgraded <laughs> a little bit. You've evolved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, that was a... Uh, just tough and when you're in situations where you're not really in control over what you eat it really does make it much more stressful to live in the non-vegan world where you don't have the luxury of exploring menus of restaurants you're going to go out to before you eat or even bring in your own food because i can't just break out of hummus wrap in the middle of a bar we're at or anything like that mm -hmm. well i could i would probably <laughs> just get yelled at or kicked out yeah or something very least some very strange stares <laughs> yeah well, so that was my depressing story, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I used to be in a touring band a long time ago, and 
we went to the Midwest and we went to Tennessee and yeah, it was like a food desert there. Even for like normal omnivores, it was still, it was just, ugh. but there was like nothing there for me to eat. So I ended up going to a convenience store and getting a five pound bag of Swedish fish to survive off oh, of deer. That was horrible. And that's like what we ate for like four days in this stinky van. It was a good time. <laughs> and then we went to Georgia and actually ate some real delicious Chinese food. <laughs> That's kind of another segue into something that we've been talking about. Like all of these stories are where you're the lone vegan. Yeah. Trying to figure out what the best way to sustain yourself for however many days is. One thing we've been talking a lot about is how important community is and support is in keeping people vegan. We all know people who have gone vegan and then fallen off and some come back and some don't. And I think one of the biggest factors in it being something permanent is having community around you and people that share your same ideals. Yeah, I was talking to John about this the other day, how basically all my friends are vegan. So if I stop being vegan, well... We won't talk to you anymore. So there goes that. <laughs> Get out. Well, <laughs> well, you probably have to sit me down and have a long talk and show me some cute pictures of pigs and alongside a slaughterhouse video or something. I don't know. But it, yeah, it's true. You wouldn't want to let down your friends and go against the deep ethical beliefs you formed over your common bond so that's just one more reason to keep sticking with it though it should always be the animal's front and center everything helps and whatever makes it easier more sustainable for you is great but the peer pressure peer pressure <laughs> does good stuff no the, tr- the power of the tribe never underestimate it we are social animals yeah and i think it's easy for anything when you have someone to throw ideas off of. If I don't know what I want to make for dinner tonight, I'm not going to turn to my carnivorous co-worker, which is a thing, and ask him what he's eating because that wouldn't make any sense. Right. I'm going to text one of my lots of vegan friends, go, huh, I don't know what I'm having for dinner. What are you guys eating? Or something as simple as that. Or I have a bunch of lentils that I need to use up, like ideas. It just makes things easier. Yeah. Don't ask me because I would just say cook the lentils and eat them. (laughs) Question mark. So it's funny you mentioned that because Dieter just sent me a recipe last night for Dorito Crunch. Dorito dust. That's what it's called. And it's basically like all the ingredients for like that would be in Doritos. But you make it from scratch and you put it on your popcorn and it sounds amazing. That sounds like it would come (laughs) from Dieter. Yeah. I was going to say, I know Dieter pretty well. And I know one thing about him is he loves Doritos. Yeah. He does. We all have our thing. And the main ingredient is nooch. So those things combined, yeah, he was all about it. So, yeah, you can always turn to a friend, a vegan friend, if you're hungry. But not to backpedal too much, but carnivorous? What is that? Carnist, yeah. Primarily meat. That is gross. Very little else. Doesn't and sound very healthy. We try to not talk about food a whole lot because <laughs> obviously we're on the opposite be, ends of that yeah. spectrum. But I, it is what it is. I I feel like I am much more fulfilled, especially in terms of food. Get a variety of flavors, not just one. I've only known one other person like that. Who you probably don't remember this person, Uh, Gary Newman. He's a musician from like the eighties. He did that song "Cars in Cars." Well, anyway, he keep going. I didn't quite get that. I I might know the second verse. (laughs) Go on. Pretty much it. But anyway. Uh, he is literally a carnist. Like, he only eats meat. Like, he won't eat any vegetables. And sometimes he even eats raw meat, which is just... <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a thing, and it's very strange. Well, we're talking about very strange things. I've been meaning to tell you both this forever. I keep forgetting, though. So I was driving Why down the street the other Me day. Too. <laughs> 
and there was a pickup truck in front of me and it had the on the back of the pickup truck on the tailgate it was up but they had a graphic over of a dead deer in the back of the pickup truck <laughs> i guess to show that they're killers i, I guess <laughs> I was thinking, this would be unpleasant for anyone not yeah. just me. i don't know many people who enjoy looking another, at dead deer another of my pet peeves is the the mounted deer heads oh, like yeah. i don't understand that at all and over the past you know 12 to 18 months we've been doing a whole lot of zoom meetings at work and my boss's boss sits in his basement with two dead deers uh, over each shoulder and i'm just like oh trying to bite my tongue but every now and then make so, a little comment. so i have a lot of free time now obviously because of everything going on so i look on zillow a lot to look at houses and stuff and i'm always seeing like dead animals like everywhere like you know like mounted heads and like furs on the floor like as like carpet and stuff like that and it's like why <laughs> It's, it happens a lot. It's very Maybe alarming. if you're a hunter or something, which I still can't condone, but at least it could be kind of a trophy, which is still terrible, but yeah. at least there's some type of logical reason to it. But if you're yes. at a yard sale and you buy a stuffed deer and throw it in your house, right? why? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that. But anyway, don't have tailgates with dead deers on them, please. Yes, thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> this is the Grammy winning episode right here. <laughs> <laughs> So the last thing I have on my little notes is the topic of veganversaries. Melissa, you just mentioned you celebrated your fifth veganversary. What'd you do for it? Nothing. (laughs) I feel like I didn't even make that great of a dinner because I came home from work tired and was just like, meh, kind of threw food together. But for me, it's, it's not even a thought anymore. So it's exciting to celebrate it because, you know, five years is a long time, but at the same time, it's kind of just a way of life now. That's a big step right there getting to that fifth one. Cause I mean, when I first went vegan, I was like, oh, I didn't think I was going to make it like six months. Cause I mean, at that point, you know, that was almost 15 years ago now and there wasn't really that many things out there. So I was like, potato burritos at Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that would have probably been it, but no, I found so many things and I was able to get that far. So that's, amazing you know that you've made it that far and, and it is nice because most people that i've talked to that went vegan fell off and either stayed off or came back it was two to three years mm-hmm. so i feel like i've kind of nearly doubled that up so maybe i'm in the the safe zone i think so <laughs> it is funny that you touched on the idea of when you say i'm vegan for five years and the people go good for you and it's <laughs> you're thinking well i it's just living I'm not really <laughs> doing anything well, that's amazing how do you do it just live the end <laughs> so uh i think yours is coming up soon. yeah mine is on may 14th nice. is my vegan anniversary i didn't actually know the exact day I, I decided to go vegan but i knew it was around the middle of may so i picked may 14th okay. and usually Actually, this year I have half a bottle of Angel's Envy bourbon I've been staring at for months. I think I might crack it open and maybe not polish it off because my tolerance is depressingly good, but not that good where I can drink half a bottle of bourbon and still function the next day. So I'm thinking that's how I'll celebrate. I guess that's not really vegan related, but it's Jill related. So I'll take it. And that would be seven years. And I read somewhere too... Or I heard a rumor, Facebook or YouTube video, or maybe I just dreamed it, that your cells <laughs> fully replace themselves every seven years. So, so you are 100% a vegan cellular Joe. It's, well, that would be the theory, but it might be, which is also kind of scary, because what's the metaphor? It's the Trojan ship or something where the guy went on a giant odyssey or something, 
and he replaced little bits of his boat along the way. And when he came back years later, because he replaced so much, it was a completely different boat, but it happened so gradually. It's like, am I a totally different person now after seven years? But yeah. it's just been so gradual. I haven't noticed. Well, do you feel different? Well, yeah, seven years ago, of course <laughs> I feel different. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, man, am I even Joe anymore? Uh-oh. And it's like in The Prestige where... I don't don't want to spoil it. Yeah. (laughs) Watch The Prestige. It's a great movie. (laughs) This is a great episode. I'm so excited (laughs) to edit this. (laughs) All right, John. uh, So it's your 112th vegan verse. (laughs) It feels like it. No, I I actually turned 15 on May 25th, so I'm excited about that. Um, Yeah. And then uh, it'll be 27 years completely meat-free. So, yeah, good stuff. So you fully replaced yourself twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two people now, somehow. Sure. <laughs> and so how do you celebrate veganversaries? Well, usually I have a big party, but last year I didn't because things. And But usually I have a little get-together. We do like a cookout or something. But yeah, th- this year, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hoping somebody gives me a delicious cake. <clears throat> somebody. <laughs> you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I might just make food and pass out in the corner. <laughs> So a normal Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, just regular Tuesday, yeah. And uh, to anyone listening out there who may feel like, I've only been vegan a month, two months, a year, two years, whatever. It's fine. If you're vegan, it's still great. I mean, yeah. you can't get we to We all 15, started somewhere. Yep. Can't get to 15 years without getting to one week first. Yep. And just because you've been vegan for 15 years doesn't make you a better vegan than anyone else. Sorry, John. Oh. <laughs> Every vegan. so superior. <laughs> well, don't. <laughs> Every vegan or everyone out there doing their best to practice a vegan lifestyle is amazing and all equally amazing people who deserve all the respect and compassion and support they deserve. Also the people on their journey trying to get there. Every little step you take is great. We fully support you. Keep on moving on your journey. Absolutely. And don't beat yourself up. I say this every time we talk about this, but don't beat yourself up if you have little slip ups here and there because we've all done it. Well, except me because I'm awesome. No, <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've had some slip ups and, you know, it's it's rare, but, you know, don't beat yourself up if it happens. Yeah, the clock doesn't reset because you accidentally bought a protein bar yeah. with whey in it one time. <laughs> oh, no, now I'm one day vegan old now. <laughs> well, one time I accidentally bought a protein bar that had, I don't know if I'm saying this right, carnagen, carnagen. Carrageen? That's it. Carrageen. I've never actually said it out loud before. But I know it's basically cow fat. Super carrageen. I think carrageen's okay. Mm-hmm. What's the one? There's Coll- ca- collagen. Collagen. Oh, yeah, collagen. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what you got to be careful about in a lot of beauty products. Yeah. yeah, and it was in a protein bar, and I ate it, and it tasted so bar. bad. That's it was one of those weird keto ones. Oh. It was supposed to be a birthday cake flavored, and I don't know where they get their birthday like cakes. Soap. But it tasted like slimy garbage, and it made me want to vomit, and that made me sad. Sounds delicious. So, yeah, that was my vegan slip-up. Fun stuff. See? I took a bite of what I thought was a mushroom empanada, but it turned out to be beef empanada, and I spit it out, and I had had a few drinks and ended up crying. Mm. But I had had a few drinks. That was my last time I remember slipping up. John, what's your... Oh, man, it's kind of a long story, so I'll keep it short. But basically, there was a restaurant that was supposed to give me a tofu dish, and it was chicken. I looked at it, and I was like, that looks like chicken. And I took a bite out of it, and it was definitely chicken. But, like, it was too late. I already swallowed it. And I called them up, and I was like, hey... 
this was wrong. And they like argued with me for like 20 minutes. Like they're like, no, it's right. And then, so we had to go the whole way back there and we're like, Hey, look at this. This is chicken. And they were like, Oh yeah, you're right. It is. I was like, you screwed up my food and now I feel horrible. So thanks for that. Again, don't beat yourself up. I did, but don't do that. Yeah. I mean, I think we all do temporarily, but I think as you get older and your veganism, it becomes easier. Right. Right. I always have found that the sniff test is the best way to determine. I ordered a Beyond Burger somewhere and it came out a regular burger. And my friends that I was with who weren't vegan friends were like, that's not a real burger. And I was like, I swear to you, this is not a Beyond Burger. It has a smell that is particular to mm-hmm. a Beyond Burger. It does. So I called over the waitress and sure enough, she had grabbed the wrong one. Wow. That's a pretty good sniffer you got there mm-hmm. because... I mean, it is kind of hard to tell, but it does have its own smell. But like, if you're if you're not if you're not around them long enough, you you could probably slip up and not mm-hmm. realize that. So that's that's good practice. That's something that worries me about all these new fall vegan products is that I'm not that big a foodie. I can't really tell the difference between them. Oh, I got yeah. just egg at a place once. It was just scrambled eggs and looked oh. just like scrambled oh, eggs yeah. to me. And I had to ask the waitress, <laughs> "Are you sure this is the stuff?" Because I wasn't sure. <laughs> right. Because I haven't eaten eggs in seven years and yeah. well, five it, days. It just goes to show how far we've come along with our vegan foods because it, it's getting harder and harder to tell the difference. But again, if something like that happens and you're doing the best of your abilities and yeah. Yeah. stuff happens. I realize the hypocrisy of us saying, don't beat yourself up or lose. As we all sit here and beat ourselves up. having an intervention right now. Like, oh, this, this happened to me. Time. <laughs> but we're but still no. here. We're still vegan. And yes. you can be too if you ever mess up. Yes. Don't so. let perfectionism be the enemy of progress. And I think that is a good place to stop for this episode. And if for anyone listening who's been tapping into some of our other communications, we've touched on creating community through just building friendships and relationships amongst the vegan community. We've touched on creating compassion through our farmed animal sanctuary work. And we've also talked about creating change through a lot of the legal advocacy that Melissa's been working hard, getting coordinated, and all part of our Compassion Continues campaign we're doing this year to move our community one step closer to an all-vegan community. So thank you again for listening, and if you have any questions, want to share your vegan slip-ups or the hardest time you've ever been vegan, because sometimes just owning up to a vegan slip-up feels kind of good. Just yeah. saying, no. It's not shameful. No. Putting it out there and owning it makes it that much easier to handle too it's not a deep dirty secret you keep in but anyway we could go off on all day <laughs> but you can email anything at all we love getting emails because it makes me realize that people actually listen yeah because we're getting tired <laughs> of getting spam <laughs> we have uh, many people want to design a website or mobile app for us so. yeah, i've noticed that <laughs> So oh, yeah. now to the email address I keep working on telling you is bekindpodcast at gmail.com. That is bekindpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening you there at home, listening here on your device. We really appreciate you and watching as well if that's what you're doing. And I didn't mean to point if you are watching the video. <laughs> so I realize rude. that is rude. So rude. Thank you again. Bye. Bye. Podcast presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central.